And now, proper propaganda. Watch it. Pull my mic back. You like that? Journalists with journalists too. We can strike back. Hardcore reporters with orders from headquarters. Behind enemy lines. Sidestepping the borders. If you're just tuning in to Civic Cypher, I'm your host, Ramses Ja. I am your host also. Ramses calls me Q. So that's what I'm going to go with. Because I really, really appreciate Ramses. Yes, indeed. Um, and a lot more to stick around. So be sure to do just that. We're going to be discussing what a culture vulture is, as well as Santa Claus for our way black history fact. Um, but first, we are going to discuss how to become a better ally. So if you haven't heard the name Ro- Rogel, I believe that's how I pronounce it, Aguilera Mideros. Um, he is the truck driver was sentenced to 110 year prison term because his brakes failed. He ended up uh, creating an accident that killed, I believe it was four people. I'll just read this. I got this from BET.com. Again, this is a Cuban truck driver, but we're standing in solidarity here and give you some uh, ways to support him. This 26 year old truck driver was found guilty um, on December 16th of 27 counts of vehicular manslaughter after the brakes of his truck failed. Killed four people in Denver in 2019. The sentence has been met with overwhelming disagreement from all sides, including the victim's families, um, mostly because it was an accident, um, but also it was the maximum penalty he could have received. Um, a lot of folks pointing out how other people in that predicament got away with probation or, you know, small jail time, that sort of thing. Um, and he's getting prison, like, even bigger than football numbers prison time um like more than mass shooters get you know and this shows i think how the sentencing system is so open to interpretation that it leads to stuff like this anyway um in addition to the truckers protesting uh and standing in solidarity with him protesting and and boycotting colorado you can sign a petition on change.org and uh, add your voice to the list of folks that are trying to get his sentence commuted. So once again, his name is Rogel, R-O-G-E-L, Aguilera Mederos. And uh, you can check that out on change.org. Before we move on, I just want to read this. Uh, He left an emotional address to the judge. He says, quote, I was working hard for a better future for my family. Um, Please don't be angry with me uh, for saying I was not out robbing a bank or store. I was not out shooting up crowds or a school. I was not under the influence of drugs or alcohol. I was working and I lost my break. Truck drivers know this hard moment when you lose your break. There's nothing you can do. I'm begging for forgiveness. I've never thought about hurting anybody in my entire life. I think those words are important. So if you want to help out um, and become a better ally, you can do that. Once again, change.org, Rogel Aguilera Mideros. All right. Even the, even the judge in that case thought that that sentence was irregular and, and just way too much. Sure. So hopefully we get that sorted out because that really does seem harsh for an accident. Um, all right. So what is a culture vulture? Well, let's talk about it. Um, so in researching this, you know, we, Q and I had this idea that we were going to talk about a couple of conceptual things before the year was over. Um, we don't want to just talk about current events. We want to talk about, we want to make bigger splashes with this program and with this opportunity and with the listenership that you are providing us, you uh, you know, the listener. And we recognize that being a black show that is consumed by mostly non-black people, 
we have an opportunity to make things, give things a bit more feeling. Um, and so in looking and trying to figure out how to define culture vulture, what I, what I discovered is that that term exists outside of a black world. Who'd have thunk? You know, um, the Oxford Dictionary has a, de a definition for it. And then, of course, we have our own definition. So I kind of put this together. Um, so allow me to read. Uh, according to Urban Dictionary, a, quote, culture vulture is someone who steals traits, language, and or fashion from another ethnic or social group in order to create their own identity. Um, and believe me, it goes beyond traits, language, and fashion. You know, it goes into speech. It goes into so many little things that are even hard to kind of pinpoint, but you know it when you see it, right? Um, however, according to Cambridge Dictionary, it means someone who is very interested in music, art, theater, and the like, especially to an excessive degree, right? So if you've heard this term culture vulture and never associated it with Black folks or, you know, Native folks, especially, um, or, uh, you know, Asian people, you know, that sort of thing, then um, we would like to in reintroduce this term to you with, you know, perhaps a little bit more uh, perspective, a little bit wider view. Um, so some of the things that I believe um, are examples of or born out of society kind of adopting uh, adopting is me putting it generously, but adopting parts of a culture and normalizing it for the masses. Um, and then you ultimately end up in individuals having friction in the workplace, on the street or whatever. Um, as a result of that, you know, you, you might be a culture vulture thinking you saw Kim Kardashian do something because Kim Kardashian is not black. You didn't think you got it from black people. But if you trace it back to where Kim Kardashian got it from, then you realize that it came from black people. And so if you encounter a black person when you're at the mall who accuses you of, you know, doing these sorts of things, we're going to help make that connection for you here. Uh, and right here we have an example, body sculpting. Right. So historically. Um, Black women have always been known to have curvaceous figures, right? Just kind of built differently. That's not to say that we're not human. You know, there's, there's people from all different types of the world that are built differently. There's some groups of folks that are really tall. You know, if you go to, you know, Samoa, you're going to find one type of person. If you go to, you know, Northern Africa, you're going to find a different type of person, you know, all human, you know, but different types of people. And so black women, for the most part, have historically been known to be more curvaceous. Um, bring about, you know, music videos where that figure is celebrated, you know, in the in the 90s and the 2000s. And then, you know, society at large kind of adopts this as kind of a, a, an additional beauty standard. You know, it's it's a valid beauty standard, you know, may not love the skin, but the, you know, the shape that works now all of a sudden. Um, then you see this boom in body sculpting, of course, that coupled with the advancements in technology and medicine and cosmetic surgeries, um, this is a possibility. And so you find people who are not known to have a certain type of shape, 
um, naturally now having this shape. And then black people in this example, looking at those people and saying, hey, you know, um, in the past, we would get ridiculed for, for looking like this. We would get made fun of. We would be denied opportunities. We would be told, you know, we look ghetto. We would, you know, whatever. But when you do it, you know, all of a sudden it's fine. You haven't paid the price for, for this. You haven't felt the pain of what it feels like to not be a victim of your genetics in a world that decided that before you were even born, right? You were just born, saw some stuff, saw like, okay, guys like this. Okay, well, I don't look like this. So let me go pay a little bit of money. Now I look like that. Cool. Everything's good. Everybody's happy. And, and again, we're talking about a disconnect here. So body sculpting is one such thing, but it goes beyond that. Hairstyles is a very easy one. Now I want to talk about this cube. I have a lot of hair. You know, like, you know, it's a radio show, so you guys can't see me, but, you know, Q keeps his hair a little bit shorter than I do. Um, I have, it reaches for the sky over here. So I'm really into hair um, as, as, a, as a statement, I believe, that's a great way to describe it. You know, I don't really do anything in my hair, just let it do what it does, but it makes a statement if you were able to ever see me. Um, I know, same class, Dr. Westenberg class that I was in, I know that in some tribes in Africa, braids were used to identify different tribes, um, different statuses in the village, you know, um, different status within your family, you know, the way you would braid your hair. Um, we're talking about like what would be considered cornrows. I don't want to call them French braids because... <laughs> Those braids have been around since they were humans, long before France existed. Um, but, uh, but yeah, these, these sorts of things historically have been associated with black hair, right? Afros, um, you know, short fades, you know, things like this. You know, this is, we don't have a lot of mainstream hairstyles that'll work. You know, Obama in the White House kind of, normalized, you know, a, a edge up, you know, in, in mainstream America, where that wasn't the case before, you know, go, go back and look at, you know, some other great leaders, you know, that come from an earlier time, that wasn't a thing. You know, they, there was no edge up, because you just had to let your natural hairline be, look at pictures of MLK, look at pictures of Jesse Jackson, look at, look at all those pictures, there's no edge ups there. Obama was a person that did that. Um, so when someone else comes along and says, hey, that looks cool. Drake put a heart in his hair. I think I'm going to do that, too. You know, and, and, you know, you see Drake do it, but you got to recognize that Drake is black. or Even if he's half black, we call that black. You know that. <laughs> and and you call that black. That's where it came from. That one drop rule. If you don't know what I'm talking about, please Google it. If you have one drop of black blood in your body that makes you black, that is a rule imposed on black people. Um, by white people in this country. I didn't make that up. But Drake was not the first person to part his hair. That is something that goes all the way back. You know, we used to part our hair in the 80s. You know, it was a cool look. We had the part and the tail in the back and all that sort of stuff. I know you remember that, Q. Yeah, it goes back before the 80s as well. There you go. But I mean, I, I was born in the 80s, so I can, yeah, yeah. My, my timeline, yeah, absolutely. Um, but you know, it's not just that, you know, language, of course, 
you know, I was watching a, a cartoon with my son um, and uh, it's called Adventure Time. You know, we we're just hanging out at home. You know, it's holiday time around these parts and uh, he's not in school. So we're just hanging out, father and son watching his cartoons. And, you know, I hear these terms on this cartoon, this kid's show, you know, and it's meant to be funny. And, you know, when it is funny, it's funny. I'm, this is not, a, I'm, we're, we're, we're trying to do is show how a person could be a culture vulture. It's not saying to pay homage or recognize that other cultures exist. Those are two different things, you know, but, you know, you see examples of language that is normal in a house like mine. It's normal in a house like Q's, but it's very much, it stands out in a cartoon. Everyone knows it, that that is a hip hop term, that this cartoon character is a white kid in the cartoon and a dog. Um, is using. He used a couple of them in every episode because it was funny, right? But you see how language can make its way into other circles, you know? And if you take too much of it, then you start to look like, hey, man, um, do you have, are, are you, like, did you get this honestly? You know, I, I've had to have these conversations. One of my best friends, or my, you know, my best friend ever in the course of my life is a white man now i've known him since he was a baby but he grew up with me right i'm four years older than him he was three i was seven when we met his name is bootleg kev you know you're listening to hip-hop station so you might know the name um and bootleg kev is often accused of being a culture vulture right but his big brother was black listen to wu-tang and snoop dogg and all that sort of stuff and so that's what he grew up with he also grew up with his dad and his mom but he wanted to be like his big brother. And I'm not saying we grew up like I saw him a couple of, no, we grew up, grew up together. My mom did not want me around gangs. And the least gang looking person was this tiny little white boy, four years younger than me. We could play with toys and play video games. And she knew I was safe. And his mom knew that my mom took me to church. So I was safe. I was older, intelligent, you know, those sorts of things. So we had each other growing up. So again, a person that gets it honestly, right? But I want to go back to the definition here. Um, someone who steals traits, language, and fashion from another ethnic or social group in order to create their own identity, right? So if your identity revolves around a culture that's not your own, now you're in the territory of a culture vulture. But I want to add something here, especially if you make money from it. Yeah. Bingo is yeah. what, if it was a graphic on the screen right then, <laughs> that would have been it. Sure, sure. And even then, you know, because I recognize that, you know, there's a lot of people who are just fans of the culture that make money from it. And this, you know, there's white folks that go to, you know, Southeast Asia and, and you know, deep into China and Tibet and they find you know, their nirvana and they find, you know what I mean? And then they have to make a life. So they make beads or they write books of their travels and, you know, wh whatever it is they do. And they make money off of other folks' culture effectively, right? There's folks that bring that back here and they start meditation camps and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And they make money off of another culture, right? I get that. But a lot of those folks are not referred to as culture vultures. Some are, you know, and, and this is not, uh, you know, this is not, you, you run the risk of, getting called that and having people take a stand against whatever it is you're doing 
anytime you do this, people are tend to be very protective of their cultures, their ideas, their ancestors, you know, their, their legacy and their posterity. That's just a fact. It's a fundamental part of who we are. We, re- we realize that our lives are finite and all we have is what we were born with and all we leave behind is, you know, our stories. And so we, we like to be the author of our own stories, right? And outside people who don't really get it fully and, and they're not subject to the, the tomorrows, they can leave the tomorrows if they so choose. Their children don't have to walk this path. Ours do, right? People tend to really think like, hey, man, you might be playing with fire there. But I will say this. For those folks who do borrow, quote unquote, from other cultures and make money from them, one thing that you find with folks who are less often referred to as culture vultures is that those people tend to give lots of credit to the source they recognize that they are not the divine, the, 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 the most connected, the best, the, you know, they, they recognize that I am not that person. I am a fan of that person. That person's name is blah, blah, blah. Or you can find that person over here. I'm doing what I do and whatever success I have, it's because I've dedicated my life to it, but I cannot dedicate my children's lives to it in the way that this person has to. You know, I recognize that my past doesn't come from it. I had to find it. And at best, there was no legacy that I inherited here. At best, I had to learn starting at this point to the to present day. And that is the sum total of my connection. And I'm grateful to be able to live and to participate and to benefit fiscally and fully de- dedicate my life to this, you know, whatever. But basically falling on the sword saying before anyone else can say it effectively i am a culture vulture i mean no offense and here's where you find the actual source material and the reason i know this is because um some years ago i got really into meditation and living in arizona it's not like there's a lot of buddhist temples here you know it's, it's just not that kind of a place i've been to countries where there are, it's, it, there actually is Buddhism as is practiced widely. Um, Arizona is not such a place, right? So when I go into the Buddhist temples, what do I see? People that live in Arizona, mostly white folks, right? And it felt very inauthentic until I heard them address that elephant in the room. I heard them fall on that sword and that made it better. Right. I'm not just this way for black people. I'm this way for people, you know, whoever you are. You know, if, if, if I feel like somebody's doing something offensive to what I would consider my brother, my Asian brother, I would not allow that. I would not allow a man to take advantage of a woman. I would not. You know, it's not just a black and white world that I live in. Right. But I, I really appreciated that. And I felt it hard after that to ref- to think of those people as being culture vultures, even though obviously the donations went to them and sustain their lifestyle and help fund their business and their building and, you know, get their books sold and so forth. They really pointed back to the source material. Um, A couple more things uh, that I need you to know is that 
culture vultures can come from any culture and they can be to any culture, right? So it's not just a black and white thing. So you have to be mindful of it. And I want to read off a couple of these other things, some of which might resonate with you. So it's not just hairstyles, language. It's also dress, music, faith, et cetera. Any parts of the culture, you know, it can be, you know, if you wear your hair in locks, you might know them as dreadlocks. We don't call them that anymore. Um, or if you have like Chinese symbols tattooed on your body or tribal symbols tattooed on your body, you know, you have to ask yourself the question, what tribe are you from? Right? This is a fair question. And then you start peeling away. It's not to say don't have it. It's not to say don't do it, but ask yourself the question. Because a lot of these things, these are concepts. We're really talking about intent here. You know? I make mistakes. I have made mistakes. And all the travels that I've done, I recognize that sometimes I overstep. I walk on the carpet with my shoes on. I should have known better. I'm so sorry. Right. But there's also, again, you know, we're talking about that sense of entitlement that comes with being American, especially with white Americans. It's a real thing. You know, you can call it privilege, you can call it entitlement, you can call it Karen energy or Kevin energy or whatever the male equivalent is. I don't like using Kevin as a, as a term because shout out to bootleg Kev, you know what I mean? But, um, and, and again, those are conversations that he and I have, you know, where he's like, hey man, so, you know, some people are saying this, what do I do about it? He comes, he confers, and I can't speak for all black people but I can let him know what I would do in those circumstances. And, you know, he takes that advice and he does his best and that's the best anyone can hope for. Now, I don't want to talk too much more about this because I want to get your reaction and your thoughts on the cue. So we got about 30 seconds, but any thoughts before we move on? Um, in 30 seconds, I know, I'm sorry. I'll just say this. <laughs> There's a lot of nuance to everything that you've covered. And I think the most important things that you pointed out is that those who profit from without pointing back to or paying homage to are the ones that typically have to wear this label. Yeah. Very it's, not, it's not drastically more complicated than that. Those who go out of their way to point to where this, whatever this is, comes from. You know, how did I get here? Why do I speak this way? Why do I dress this way? What type of influences caused this version of me to come to be? Because I wasn't born into this. I didn't, like you said, I didn't get it honestly. Uh, the people who do that part properly typically avoid that label. Well said. Um, well, I appreciate that much insight. And so... Um, we're not quite done with that just yet. So let's get into our way black history fact. Um, so, yeah, we're talking about Santa Claus this week and uh, the source for uh, today's read comes from Black Enterprise and Wikipedia. Combine these two. So I'll just read it. Santa Claus, also known as Father Christmas, St. Nicholas, St. Nick, Kris Kringle, or simply as Santa, is a legendary character originated in Eastern Christian culture who is said to bring children gifts on Christmas Eve of toys and candy or coal or nothing, depending on whether they are naughty or nice. 
He's said to accomplish this with the aid of Christmas elves who make the toys in his workshop at the North Pole and flying reindeer who pull his sleigh through the air. The modern character of Santa is based on tradition surrounding the historical St. Nicholas and the English figure of Father Christmas and the Dutch figure Sinterklaas, right? So what we see here is it's a combination of different stories um, in different parts of the world that have kind of meshed into what we think of as a guy in a red suit with a black belt and a big belly, white beard, flying through the sky. Um, the jolly mythical man we know as Santa Claus has been traced back to St. Nicholas, who was born in the second half of the third century to a wealthy Christian family in modern day Turkey. As a young man, Nicholas secretly donated three bags of gold to a poor father who couldn't afford to pay his daughter's dowry and was going to resort to selling them into prostitution. For three nights, Nicholas threw a bag of gold into the man's home window. But on the third night, the father discovered that Nicholas was the person behind the mysterious donations. Nicholas, who was a devout lifelong Christian, became known for his generosity and love for children and was ordained as the Bishop of Myra. After his death, he was immortalized as a Catholic saint, and the anniversary of his death was celebrated on December 6th. Inspired by St. Nicholas, a group of French nuns in the 12th century anonymously left stockings full of fruits and nuts on the doorsteps of poor people's homes at night. This act of charity soon became very popular and spread across Europe, thus establishing one of the customs in our modern Christmas celebration. Though St. Nicholas has been portrayed in icons as a white man with rosy red cheeks for centuries, a modern day forensic study of the bishop's bones discovered that he resembled a light brown man of color. Meanwhile, the cathedral built in Bari, Italy in 1087 to honor the saint depicts him as a Middle Eastern man with very dark skin. According to Psychology Today, the Turkish-born saint looked more like Osama bin Laden than today's average, quote, white male, end quote, or Coca-Cola's Santa Claus. Regardless of skin tone, both St. Nicholas and the man we recognize as Santa Claus are symbolic of the joy of giving. Santa comes once a year to bring gifts, love, and hope to millions of children around the world. In essence, he shouldn't be limited to just one image or skin color. Instead, he should be embraced as a figure of our imagination and accepted in all forms, whether that's traditional sense or as a modernized version created by the Black Santa Company. Santa, remind us, Santa reminds us of light and humanity. That's a symbol that doesn't come in just one color. You can learn more about the forensic study of St. Nicholas and his ethnicity in the documentary, Santa Claus, The Real Face. All right, it's Christmas time, Q, or Christmas-ish time. So <laughs> let's talk about Black Santa. We got a little bit of time here. You ever heard any kickback or pushback this year? Not, not this year specifically, but I've heard uh, plenty of pushback with regards to Santa uh, and really just the, the way that we celebrate Christmas and the things that we say it means that are not historically accurate, but are uh, astronomically profitable. Mm. Um, I'll let you back in there and we can, <laughs> we can play a okay. little bit of tennis. Okay. With this topic. So watch this. Um, one of the things that 
you know, Fox News historically has had issues with this or 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 the like, you know. Um Santa Claus is a scientific fact. Santa Claus was a white man. Okay. Well, there's three Santa Clauses here. We're talking about, again, St. Nicholas. That's not a white man, right? Um, the same way they talk about Jesus being a white man. Now, Jesus was, a, was an actual person in the same way that St. Nicholas was an actual person. Santa Claus is different. <laughs> Santa Claus is a concept, right? But you know what I find interesting? Um, James Bond, not a real person. It's, it's a, I believe it's Sir Arthur Conan Doyle that wrote James Bond or he wrote Sherlock Holmes. I'm not sure which one, but whatever the case is, someone made him up, James Bond, right? Um, and it was written, these were books. Someone decided to cast James Bond as a white man, right? And so now there's an image there. And then years later, Idris Elba wants to play James Bond. People are like, I don't really know if James Bond should be a black man because we know James Bond to be white, right? Superman, right? As soon as I say Superman, you're listening to my voice. As soon as I say Superman, dark hair, white skin, cape, you know, he's got the blue joint with the red cape on tight clothes with the little underwear on, right? That's Superman. I know it popped in your head. That <laughs> right? Offered Will Smith to play Superman. He was like, no, I do not want that problem. Right? Will Smith, you know, he's a good actor, right? So what we're seeing is that there is oftentimes issues with that. One of the things we never talk about is how so often black characters are rewritten and um, what is it called? Uh, when you take something and make it white, uh, there's a term. Whitewashed. Whitewashed. That's the term. Um, so often that takes place. But when it's the other way around, it feels a little like, no, we don't like that. you know. And I think that by us being able to tell a little bit of a story about Santa Claus and his actual roots, one day we'll do the same with Jesus, you know, um, but um, at least for now, I feel like it helps loosen that grip on a little bit, hopefully loosens that grip a little bit on ideas. You know, think about this. If I said the tooth fairy is coming tonight, what did you think in your mind? Why can't the tooth fairy be black? My, my older sister is actually writing a movie about that. Right. And it's just. I just thought it was interesting. So I'm glad we got to talk about Santa Claus. And, you know, for everyone listening, you know, we hope your holidays are or were happy, depending on when you're listening to this show. Um, but, you know, that's that's about it for us. We're going to go and enjoy our holiday, too. Um, and, uh, you know, we're going to say this a couple more times before the year is over. But we really appreciate everyone that's been riding and supporting with us. You are the greatest Christmas gift to me and Q. Um, we have a lot of really exciting things coming in, in the new year. So please hang on because it's about to get wild around here. We're really excited and, and, and we will be making those announcements, of course, very soon. Um, and uh, yeah, if you want to know more, uh, you know, hit the website, civicsacker.com. You can submit questions, uh, any topics you want us to discuss. Of course, you can make a donation. 
Um, follow us on social media. That's all at Civic Cipher. And of course, you can download this and any previous episode of the show. And until we talk next week, y'all. Peace. Hey, yo, we handle it. These brothers are fabulous. Dilated, showing you where rhyme travel is. Worlds is pitoned from sunlight to moon. Busting off stage like gunfights the moon. Pull my mic back. You like that? Journalists with journalists, too. We can strike back. Hardcore reporters with orders from headquarters. Behind enemy lines, sidestepping the borders. With press passes, we bring it to you as it happens. The streets love my crew for music and rapping. Street commander slash beat expander.